everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of Perspective. Oh my god, we hit double digits. Can you believe it? I certainly cannot. Logan and I have both been very busy, so it's been a couple weeks since we have gotten on the show together, but we are so excited to be recording today. Logan, can you introduce our guest, please? I can, and it feels like I don't know what I'm doing anymore because I haven't done this for like three weeks. <laughs> but so but, but wait, Logan, did you ever know what you were doing? No, and that applies to basically everything in my life. So that's out, that's much deeper than just podcasting. But we're going to try to start off not in a depressing note, which I don't know how long that'll last. Probably not long. Uh, F- FYI, yeah, FYI to our, our guest, Kayla, um, this show gets kind of depressing. But yay, reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on, Logan. Okay, anyway, so before we get that into that little rabbit hole, um, we have Kayla on with us today. She is a co-host of her own podcast called Let the Right Films In. Uh, she is very active in the alternative music community. Um, and she's a friend of ours whose opinion we do value a lot, especially on some topics that we wanted to talk about today. Um, but before we dive into that, Kayla, did you want to introduce yourself? Uh, that was a great introduction and warms my heart. Uh, just, yeah, hi. Excited I, to be here. <laughs> I came up with that about two minutes ago, so I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> so... Kayla, um, I guess I just want to kind of introduce you and, and get to know you a little better uh, and for our listeners to get to know you a little better. I I want to dive all the way back. Um, I mean, I know that Paramore is one of your favorite bands. I know, I know that the Swellers are really huge for you as well. Oh, um, but <laughs> right, right. I know, Logan. I know. Um, <laughs> we don't we don't have to spend all of today's episode talking about bands that broke up because we did that a few weeks ago. Um, on episode eight, we talked about all of our favorite bands that broke up way too soon. It was sad. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, We're Kayla. Not a good yeah. No. Anyway, Kayla. Um, can you just go back for me? I mean, talk to me about. I don't know if Paramore was like your first favorite band, but talk to me about like your first time discovering music and specifically discovering like alternative music and how you found that, what that was like for you. Oh man. Okay. So actually Paramore is close to being my first favorite band, but my actual first favorite band and I'm not at all ashamed of this, but I went through a really deep and heavy evanescence phase when I was like... There we go. Didn't we all? <laughs> yeah, when I was <laughs> right. like 13 to 15. And uh, that was like pretty much all I listened to. It was like that and Flyleaf, which is <laughs> that one I'm a little embarrassed of. But um, uh, when I was 14, I, I remember this like so vividly. I was babysitting my siblings and I was trying to be cool. So I had MTV2 on in the background and it was when they still did music videos and it was right before Riot by Paramore came out and the video for Misery Business came on and I remember it was such a lightning bolt moment for me because I mean I don't know if you guys know this but Evanescence is kind of depressing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Kayla Logan and I were literally just talking about uh an album that I'm gonna be talking about for Substream coming up that I described as probably a little depressing but maybe not that depressing uh and logan said that's not my kind of music if it's not totally depressing yes that is 100 <laughs> percent true <laughs> that's yeah and, and so and i really i felt that way until i saw that parent like the first time i saw that video was i think the first time i realized that people could have a good time with music if that makes sense because like the totally, whole video totally. is Haley bouncing off the walls smiling being like Lyrical content aside, like, the video is a blast, and I just remember I, I went to my computer and I was like, I need to find out everything about this band, and through that, um, I found Alternative Press and a couple other of those, like, I think Kerrang! and a couple other magazines, and pretty much just started looking up every single band that was in any of the like in any of those magazines like I used to I would 
rip out the pages with like ad mats on them <laughs> and, and would like, you I wait would, would you like tape them all over your walls yeah well yeah. okay because i did that too yeah, don't too, worry <laughs> <laughs> my room in high school was literally like ceiling to floor like covered in alternative press clip and rolling stone oh yeah literally same literally really bad because like when i had to move out oh sorry go ahead no it was literally same and like through college because i i went away to college i went to school in ohio um but you know so i was like i was only home through the summer but my my college dorms were more like actual posters but my my childhood bedroom was was very much like what was in alternative press last month? <laughs> yeah, was, uh, absolutely. Oh, sorry. Uh, it was a really good change for me because before that it was all like horse pictures. <laughs> so it was my defining like growing up moment. <laughs> but yeah, uh, after that, I also I went through a, a phase of like that kind of hot topic. I don't know, hardcore, screamo, whatever you want to call it. Like I was really into Chiodos for a minute. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> Yeah, a lot a lot of bands that like I'm a little like I look back and I'm a little cringy about. <laughs> but yeah, I would say probably Paramore was that big uh intro band and is still the band that I'm the most passionate about now. Definitely. And I think I I vaguely remember you and I talking about uh the new album which for me so I'm you know, right in the age range and especially being a young woman, I kind of have all the makings of like, I should be like a diehard long-term Paramore fan. But for whatever reason, like I just never really could get into them. But this new album is so fascinating and like, it's so real. Like it's it, incredible. So, it hits so many feelings. Um, but I think that's really cool. And I think they're, and and you can probably speak more eloquently of this, Kayla, because you've, uh, you know, definitely spent more time with their catalog than I have. Um, but I think they're a good example of a band that has really matured and definitely made a lot of changes to their sound and their image. But through that, like, they've only gotten bigger and they've only gotten, like, more and more, in my, in my view anyway, they've only gotten more and more, like, respect for it over the years which is kind of a contrast to you know maybe a band like fallout boy who changes their sound and not everyone is like immediately on board yeah i think the thing about paramore in particular is that they every time they change they change constructively um they've Definitely. never been yeah they've never in my opinion been trend hoppers and they've never been the kind of band that wants to change it up to, I don't know, get more Twitter followers or make more money or whatever. I think that in a sense, like they, I mean, in a sense, they grew up with us. Like they yeah. were 15, 16 when their band started. And I think a lot of their progression just comes from getting older and from realizing that you don't like the same music that you liked in high school. Whereas I think with a lot of other bands, they either never change their sound, they never... I, I don't know. It just it's more organic than I think a lot yeah. of the other bands from that time. The only other one that I can think of that is similar in that regard is probably like Panic at the Disco. I think has that same sort of uh, they just get bigger and bigger no matter what they do. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think that I think that what you brought up about them kind of growing up with the fans is really huge because there's so many. I just did uh, I just did an interview for Substream that you know it'll it'll be on the internet soon. Um, but what I talked about with this artist was that, you know, you, you want your fans to stay with you. Um, and when an artist is really able to like do that and, and grow with their fans without losing what it is that made people fall in love with the band in the first place, that is really special. Yeah. And I think the most important thing too, is that regardless of any of the sound changes, the lyrical content is still very much the same kind of open book diary style that I think people in this scene in particular really relate to. And I think that is also what sets Paramore apart from a lot of their contemporaries is that a lot of the bands from that same era that were really big, like uh, a good example is maybe like Mayday Parade. Like I don't feel as connected to their lyrics as their catalog progresses. And I don't know if, I mean, that could also just be a me problem, but there are a lot of bands from that time where 
if even if they're still putting out new music, I listen to it and I'm like, this is like the same thing. Like you're still mad about the same things. Like I feel like you haven't grown. I feel like you haven't like you haven't found anything else to write about in the past ten years. Whereas I think Paramore is really good at changing it up. I would say that's a great point, specifically with Mayday Parade. I mean, I've I've followed Mayday Parade for you know ever since I discovered them, probably when I was a freshman in high school or maybe like in eighth grade. So right around the time that A Lesson in Romantics came out. And they really, their sound has like sort of changed only with their like last album or two maybe. But like, I think you're right in that their lyrical content has relatively stayed the same. And because of that, I think the people who grew up with them 10 years ago don't listen to them anymore. And if they do, they don't relate. Like you said, they don't quite relate to their music or at least relate to the lyrics as much as they used to. And so it's very hard to have that like growing up process with them. So if you go to their shows now, you'll kind of see like the same type of crowd that you would have saw 10 years ago in terms of like the demographic that's going to be. But it's like a new crop of people that are like the same age. Yeah. You've got a new wave of young kids basically going to their shows. And there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that. But when you're going to compare that to like a band like Paramore, it's kind of like she said, it's, you know, really easy to see those kind of differences there. You know what's really interesting as we talk about like, you know, a band kind of maintaining those same demographics. Um, back in July, I went to see Frank Iero uh, play a solo show. And it was, I think it was the last show of his tour, um, his headline tour over the summer. And I I, I got there and like, I, I was there a few hours early to do an interview. And already there were like a couple dozen kids lined up. And I talked to a bunch of these kids because i just wanted to know like (laughs) what the hell are you doing here it's 90 degrees like why are you here so early and a lot of these kids were like i mean they were like 16 year olds but there were like a decent amount of 13 year olds and i was like well wait a minute number one i mean i i would say i don't know if you guys have heard frank's newest album parachutes but it's definitely not like as accessible as, as my chemical romance is um nor has his solo stuff had like the same amount of, you know, marketing and, and promotion as especially the later Mike Hem records did. But also like you're 13. So you would have been like literally nine when Mike Hem broke up. Um, Ouch. And there, wow. Right. Gee. Right. And there were definitely like a decent amount of people. I'm 26. And there were definitely a decent amount of people that were my age too. It's just that I think the people that are in their mid 20s are less likely to line up, you know, so, so far before the show. But I think it's always interesting to see that like new crop of kids kind of rotating, rotating in. Um, and seeing, seeing also, I mean, I, I here, here's a question for you, Kayla. Um, so, I, I'm sure you've talked about this at length, so, so we can make this a brief discussion. Um, so Paramore has gotten some flack for the lyrics to Misery Business, um, which they've addressed. And Haley has kind of said, hey, I was younger then. I didn't necessarily know better. It, in your perception of like the Paramore fandom, when kids discover that song now, what are their views on it? Hmm, that's an interesting question. A lot of the people that I interact with in the Paramore fandom are more my age. I've definitely started to see a lot, like, on Twitter, on Tumblr, of people who maybe haven't yet seen that Haley has addressed that. And, like, they get mad. They're confused as to why. Right, because, right. You know, like, the scene darlings or whatever. They're like, look, this is also (laughs) a problematic lyric or it's, it's problematic language. We don't want to like glorify it and it's something I mean I am admittedly biased but I think that Haley has done a really good job in addressing this and I think it's one of those things where it's like I'm really glad that she has and I'm 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 not sure if you guys know this but she's also stopped singing like the word in question live she covers her mouth during the oh she has I didn't I didn't know that I was I was gonna ask about that because there was a modern baseball song um, where I, I forget what song it even was, but they, you know, they had a negative connotation, a negative word in that song. And they would, they then realized, Hey, this is probably not, you know, this word isn't cool. And they started singing the word fish instead. Uh, that's awesome. That's hilarious. Actually. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I think 
Another really good thing about Misery Business is that over the years, I think they've really strived to turn it into something more positive. Yes, it is a song that's kind of, I mean, it's shitty. Like, it's it's mean. It's vindictive. But for the past, uh, I want to say maybe six or seven years now even, they've been pulling fans up on stage to sing the bridge and to dance around on stage. And so they've really made an effort to take this song that's, you know, maybe not Haley's proudest moment lyrically and turn it into something that's a positive and fun experience for everybody in the room. And I I think that is a really great way to deal with stuff like that. No, I think that's that's huge. I mean, that's I didn't even know they did that. That's so like I mean, exactly what you said. It, it's so positive. Um, and I think that's really cool when bands, you know, do that when they try to get fans involved like that. Yeah, and I think it's also good too to keep talking about it and to keep even keep performing it because like as we grow older and as we realize things are problematic or that we don't hold the same views anymore i think it's important to acknowledge it and acknowledge that you've grown and learned absolutely as yeah to just like pretending that it never happened no i think much worse to pretend like it never happened i think she's like you said she's in a great job of you know owning up to it and i mean even from like our perspective you know she was i think what 17 or 18 right when that song came out and you know and if you're looking at that, you have to understand one. I mean, obviously, ten years ago, some of these things weren't. I mean, these things were not necessarily as big of a deal then as they were now, and especially for you know someone of that you know age. And I think it's it's easy to understand how that song would come to be the way it did, or how it was easy for her to write that song and not at not at that time realize what you know what it could possibly mean or how you know, how it could be looked at from someone or even 10 years down the road, how people could talk about it and be like, hey, look at this lyric, you know. So it's it's not necessarily the best thing that she could have done, but it's, like you said, she's handled it incredibly well and she's owned up to it. And that, I mean, I guess there's not really much more you could ask at that point because you can't go back and change it. So there's no point in pretending that like it didn't happen. So Yeah, and if I could wax poetic on this for a minute, I think even when we're examining a song like Misery Business, as opposed to to use Mayday as the, the whipping boy again for a second, a song like When I Get Home You're So Dead, yeah. um, I think there's a huge difference between a teenage girl like Haley using the word whore in the context that she did. Because when I think about Misery Business now and when I apply all of the studies or whatever into gender theory and whatnot that... I've done what I see is a teenage girl buying into a toxic mentality that was built yes. by men. Yeah. She, yes. Yes. That's so huge. what she's doing is she is declaring herself other. She's saying that like, oh, this girl does all of these things and that's bad and I do these things and therefore like I'm like the good, the pure, whatever. And I think that's so different than a, a teenage boy or a man or whatever writing a lyric to you know trash a woman or to take ownership of her or whatnot because like really when it comes down to it the problem ultimately is the patriarchy and young women are groomed to try and you know be uh, be the perfect thing that men want they're groomed to try and be cool and pretty and like but not too slutty and not too fat or not too yeah yeah you know like it's an interesting i mean i'll speak to my own experience of being a music fan at shows as you know a a teenage girl i mean even into my 20s you know like i go to you know you go to shows and like you want to you want to look nice, of course, because you're probably going to take pictures with your friends. And nowadays I'm going to shows and I'm probably meeting people, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm meeting a band member or a manager or I'm interviewing someone. I'm, you know, somewhat professional. And it's like you want to I want to look nice and presentable and appropriate, but I don't want to look too dressed up because it's always like if you're too dressed up, then there's assumptions, you know, Um but then if you're not dressed up, it's like, oh, well, why don't you put effort into your appearance? Um, but I, th- I think what you said, Kayla, about her just being a, I, and I don't want to use the word victim because I, I don't 
think Haley is necessarily a victim, but, uh, you know, Haley falling victim or however we're going to say it to toxic masculinity and the culture and that that just being the world at that time. I think a good word for that, I, mean, I don't know if this is the best word, but it might be a little bit better than victim as he's kind of a product of what was going on at that time. And it's Yes, that's a better word, yeah. Not you know, it was just in terms of what everyone wanted her to be or what the expectations were. And, you know, that's actually, you know, what we've been talking about was pretty good like way to transition into what, you know, we originally wanted to talk about on this specific episode with, you know, the <laughs> stereotypes. Oh, yeah. Um, and and Molly and I kind of talked about this earlier. Yeah. Um, there was a, I guess there was an interview with, um, uh, with, oh, I can't remember her name right now. Um, I think it's Shanna Mokler, I think is her yeah, name. Yeah, Shanna Mokler. Um, and she was talking about her daughter. Um, it was also obviously Travis Barker's daughter, but she, a year ago, she was posting pictures, you know, of herself in makeup on Instagram, and she got she a lot being, of crap for she it. She being Alabama Barker, Alabama, Travis's, yes, I'm sorry. Travis's yes, daughter. Yeah, the, yeah. The daughter, Alabama, who at the time was only 10 years old, and, you know, she was posting pictures of herself in makeup on Instagram and all of these things, and um, this, apparently, I guess, this YouTuber, YouTube celebrity, whatever you want to call it, um, decided it was, you know, his he was in the right place to call her out for that and say that this is wrong and that she shouldn't do this and that it's inappropriate for, you know, a 10 year old to be wearing makeup and being, you know, putting these pictures on Instagram. And so this, this caught Travis Barker's eye specifically and he kind of called him out on it. Then he deleted his post because he realizes that's not the right way to do it. But ultimately the video got taken down and the YouTuber, I guess, never, you know, never really apologized for it. But this came up today because she did an interview talking about it and talking about how tough that was for her daughter um, to kind of go through. And it's tough. And it, I mean, I can't imagine that because I actually saw a, um, I saw a comment on Chorus today who, when they posted about this and this guy went on there and he said, you know, that's, it's, it's a really big double standard because he brought up the point that at his age, at 10 or 11 years old, um, young men start to kind of get into grooming themselves in terms of like shaving or, you know, gelling their hair or doing whatever they want to themselves. So at that point, you look at that and the young men are like, oh, that's great. They're, you know, handsome. They're growing up. This is great. But a young woman kind of does, you know, the opposite in terms of not, and not do the you know opposite. What I was, like, that's doing. what I was doing when I was 10 years old was – I would have my friends over for a sleepover on a Saturday night and we would like play around with makeup and like we didn't have Instagram, but if we had Instagram, I totally would have been right doing that. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, Kayla. I don't know if you are someone who wears a lot of makeup, but you know, we were kind of curious what, what you thought of, I mean, this whole situation, I guess. I mean, when you're a girl, there's like such a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of yeah. right, uh, thing right with happens. everything. And it's, it's I don't know. Makeup is something that I feel complicated about because I mean I definitely I, I mean I wear makeup, I enjoy it, and I think that it can be a really fun form of self expression. But I mean, until I was like seventeen, eighteen, I never wore it, and I thought that I was like the most special cool girl because I didn't wear makeup like it was something that I was constantly I, I don't know I was really an asshole about it if we're being honest hashtag <laughs> like, <laughs> like hashtag not all other not other girl not like other girls a thousand percent and like yeah when I see because like, <laughs> I, I was the same don't worry <laughs> yeah and it's like one of those things where it's like yes I want people to feel comfortable but I also there's this entire industry that's built on making sure that we feel best and most comfortable about ourselves when we're spending hundreds of dollars a month or like, a year or whatever on yeah. makeup products so like I mean I, there's again there's no way to win <laughs> like I would right. love like, I think it's totally fine for 10-year-old girls to play with makeup and post pictures if they're having fun. Like, I don't think it's inappropriate. I think that there's so much policing of young girls' bodies and of their, I guess, and she's 10, so this doesn't really apply, but, like, their burgeoning sexuality in such a way that, right. like, it's not, like, if you think that it's inappropriate because it makes them look too grown up or because 
men could get the wrong impression. Like, that's a you problem. Like, that is exactly. not a 10-year-old girl's problem to deal with your perception of her. And that's something that I think as a society we super need to address and, I, I guess, kind of unlearn. Because if you have grown men out in the world who are looking at 10-year-old girls who, like, badly put on some eyeshadow and are like, oh, my God, this is so sexual and horrible. Like, that's a problem, and that is not her problem. It's your problem. That's, I mean, that has been an issue for exactly. a while. I, you know, I think it's always important to stress that these things aren't necessarily new. It's just easier to discover them, obviously, because of the Internet and whatever that brings, you know, both good and bad. But, you know, you can even take it back to when, I'm sure all of us went through this, but, you know, when I was in my high school, we had these ridiculous dress codes in terms of, you know, you know, young women in high school can't wear this because, like you said, it gives the wrong quote-unquote impression or it gives off this, like, vibe or some reason. Uh, yeah. But oh my God. that's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the guy's problem, right? But, I mean, it's the guys who or would be getting these ridiculous vibes and, you know, they would be acting on them. So rather than punish the men, we were clearly going to be like, hey, you know, listen, it's we're not going to punish them. We're going to go ahead and put this on you, even though you technically haven't done anything wrong, but it's still your fault. And that's always been like, I don't know if that's different in high school now. I hope it is. I doubt it. I probably. don't know. It probably isn't. Can I, I mean, can I just say, like, I had a, I always had dress codes in high school. And it, one of the things it said was like, you can't wear, you know, sh shorts or a skirt that's too short. And like, how they defined too short was never really clear. Um, but I, I mean, I got busted for breaking that rule so many times, so many times. I mean, it, it probably happened like three times each year of high school that I got yelled at for having a skirt too short. But um, th there was something like terribly bizarre about like a female teacher saying, well, just so you know, you know, your physics teacher, who's a man, said that he noticed your skirt was out of dress code, but he didn't want to say anything because that would be inappropriate. Which, yeah, but also, like, you know, what what's the need for that rule anyway? I don't know. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, I see on social media anyway, like, I always see stuff about people kind of clapping back against sexist and, and double standard dress codes um but i don't know i'm not in high school now so i don't know if i can really say yeah i mean i went to a private lutheran school until i graduated high school so the dress code that i had was probably the most extreme version of that dress code <laughs> like i on it like there were so many rules that i kind of wish that they would have just made us wear uniforms because it was impossible on a daily basis to get dressed. That's gotta be so stressful. It was. And that's one of those things too, is it's something that if you're a teenage girl and like being a teenage girl is hard. There are so many things that are happening. You're growing and you are, I don't know, you're feeling emotions and all these things for the first time. And like your body is changing. And I can't say how, like how much time and effort I wasted in high school on trying to find an outfit that I was comfortable in, that I wasn't going to get in trouble for. And it took away from like my mental resources. <laughs> like it's just something like if you're spending 30 minutes every day trying to decide what to wear, that's 30 minutes out of your day when you could have been eating or sleeping or studying or literally, I don't know, any other more productive use of your time. Because like the rules that we weren't even allowed to wear like band t-shirts because <laughs> it was inappropriate. We couldn't. We could wear T-shirts, like logo shirts, on Fridays, um, and we could only wear sweatshirts on Fridays. So, like, during, like, Monday through Thursday, we were supposed to wear, like, if you were cold, you know, you were supposed to wear, like, a cardigan or something. But I uh, – well, I, I probably – no, I definitely did get in trouble a few times, but I would always pull the – well, I forgot a sweater at home and I had my hoodie in my gym bag and I'm really cold. The AC is cranked today. Can I please just wear this? So I I ended up getting away <laughs> with with wearing hoodies, like band hoodies quite a bit uh, more than I definitely was supposed to. But um, and then we would have these like, I don't know if you ever had this, Kayla. So I, I went to a private school that was not like a, a secular, you know, not religious or anything. Um, but we would occasionally have dress up days, which were the worst, where you had to get like extra dressed up. Um, and of course, it was like you can't wear 
finding shoes for those, by the way, was the worst. <laughs> it's like, you can't wear sneakers. You can't wear flip-flops. I mean, you don't really want to walk around school all day in high heels. So it's like, what do you even wear for yeah. shoes? See, I had such a bizarre high school. So I there were dorms in my high school. I didn't live in them because the high school was in the town that I grew up in. But um, a lot of my friends were from out of state or from out of town. And we constantly had uh, visitors like elementary school visitors and like pastors and just like people would come from literally all over the country to tour the school to see it or they would be like, I don't know, events for like the church group that it was a part of. And so we were pretty much expected to dress like, I guess, like you could say business casual, like we could wear t-shirts and jeans, but like they couldn't be ripped. We had to wear nice shoes. I don't think flip flops were allowed, but also like we couldn't wear high heels because those were like slutty, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) But there was just, there was a lot going on (laughs) there. And I just remember always being mad because it felt like literally every guy could get away with anything. Like my junior or my sophomore and junior year, I made it a, um, a project of mine to see like how many days in a row I could wear a band t-shirt before I got in trouble. And I remember the day that it happened that I finally got called into the Dean's office was a day I was wearing a Chiodo shirt and it was literally the same shirt that a senior two years ahead of me was also wearing that day and I got in trouble and he didn't and I was I'm still like a little bit mad about it to this day. That's so frustrating but that like that so clearly speaks to reality sadly. Yeah this is this is really strange like it's it's weird because obviously I can't like speak about you know this in the same sense only because you know, it's like you said, obviously, as a male, I was able to get away with pretty much a lot more in high school in terms of what I wanted to wear. Um, and it was it was really weird. Like we my high school was just a regular public high school. So probably just the most, I guess, like basic high school you can probably get in terms of anyone who would be listening to this and what they could potentially relate to. Um, but some of the most common things were, yeah, you couldn't wear any open toed shoes. You couldn't wear our school divide, defined um, short skirts and short short or short shorts um, as anything above the knees. So you had to either go in rocking some like mom shorts or like some capris, and that's pretty much all you could wear. And like, or obviously for guys like we could wear athletic shorts, we could wear whatever, and it really wouldn't make a difference. We could wear flip flops or sandals, and it wouldn't matter. Um, women, young women, couldn't wear like. Um, I don't know what they're called, like spaghetti strap shirts or whatever. Um, whereas we could wear tank tops and it wouldn't make a difference. So it was, like you said, we could obviously get away with practically everything. Whereas again, it was essentially our problem was the reason that again, young women couldn't wear the same things that we could wear because it was never, it was always easier, I guess, in society's eyes to just blame women per usual instead of actually fixing the actual or trying to actually resolve what the issue is which has pretty much always been on men or you know even older men who kind of have never been able to get past what they were taught was okay and kind of like adapt to new things and realizing that it's not the way the world works anymore it really never should have worked that way yeah i think that definitely hits the nail on the head and even to kind of circle back more towards music i remember when i first started uh getting into going to shows, uh, just uh, being dorky and like reading on the internet, like, oh, what should I wear? This is my first concert and stuff like that. And there are so many arbitrary rules that are so clearly meant to uh, shame newer fans or shame people who maybe don't know as much. Like the whole, okay, so here's the one that I hate that I get just I get so irritated whenever I see it is when people say that you shouldn't wear the shirt of the band. Of the band oh boy. <laughs> like why? Like I don't I don't even get why why people take issue with that. It's like if I if I'm going to see this band, of course I like them. Like why would I not wear their shirt? I mean, and for me, like I couldn't wear band shirts to school most of the time. So if I'm going to a good Charlotte concert, uh by the way, Kayla, I try to bring up Good Charlotte oh, on every go. episode. Yeah. Uh, um, I just knew that was going to happen when she started bringing yeah. up like what you could wear. Yeah. And I was like, she's going to say something about Good Charlotte. <laughs> I can see it. Um, but, you know, like when I would get to 
go to a good Charlotte concert, of course I'd want to wear a good Charlotte shirt because I couldn't wear it most of the time. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's one of those things that people will say it's not, but definitely is more aimed at young girls because with most fandom stuff, whether it's music or TV or whatever, um, teenage girls are really kind of like the like the dollar power behind all of that they're the ones who are most likely to get super obsessed with stuff and spend like hundreds of dollars oh yeah on merch and t-shirts and stuff and so uh, when i see stuff like that it's definitely something that i think most people aren't even being conscious of they're just like oh my god yeah only dorks wear the shirt or whatever but who they're mostly gonna end up talking about are young girls who were super excited and went to hot topic to buy a 21 pilot shirt or whatever like those kind of little insidious things are what i think continues to alienate young women from music and i think it's one of those things too that's really easy for other women to kind of fall into that trap of being like oh well obviously you don't wear that to a show or you don't i don't know you don't wear a dress or you don't do this like you want to be you know you want to be cool you want to be the girl that's you know not like the other guy yeah and you want like you want to look like you deserve to be there, I guess, even though it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be about an appearance or about deserving anything. And isn't that interesting, right? That you want, like, the main target for these bands is young women, but yet those are the rules that they get. Like, those are the ones that get placed under the most rules and they get the most scrutiny. They say, hey, go to the show, you can't wear this. Oh, I know, you know, we don't want you to act this way, but we also don't want you to act this way either. So, like, you know, you get, for example, I guess you get, like, women who go to, like, quote unquote hardcore shows right and they don't men don't want them to be in the way right and if they hit you they're gonna be like well you know you shouldn't have been here anyway whereas in turn if they go in there and they you know start acting you know the same way as the men are they start having a good time expressing themselves then they get you know mocked and someone's gonna take videos and be like well what is this woman doing she looks like an idiot and it's like well why what's the difference you don't want her to not be there it's just weird Yeah, no, I mean, I've even, like, been called out at shows and on the internet for, you know, the, you know, being in the crowd and and whatever, and it was, it would be like, well, if you don't want to be here, why are you in the crowd? You know, if you don't want to get hit, why are you in the crowd? And I I got called out for stuff, and it was really, it you know, it was really shitty. Um, But I I wanted to bring up, as we talk about, you know, teenage girls being kind of the, uh, the big driving power for the market of fandoms, Harry Styles, as I'm sure you're both aware, has been such a huge champion for teenage girls. He's uh, the best. Yeah. He, he did an interview with Rolling Stone where he talked about how teenage girls are amazing and they're the future. I mean, even if we go back several decades, I mean, teenage girls loved the Beatles, you know? So I, I, yeah, think, I think to, that's... I mean, no, go on, go on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I think it's one of those things where um, that's where you kind of get that same toxic masculinity thing going on where you have these men in bands or artists who are, like, ashamed of the people that are quite literally providing them with a livelihood. Like, the the nega image of that really great Harry Styles interview is that really nasty five seconds of summer profile from, I think, I think it was two years ago. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's so bad. That was rough. They hated their fans because they were young girls and how no one takes them seriously when they could have taken that time and that incredible platform to defend the people that love them. So I wanted to pull up. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that I was going to say that the girls that are causing them to sell out amphitheaters and, and go on world tours. I mean, it's, you know, I mean... If, if any artist was mocking their fan base and their fan base was anything other than teenage girls, the whole world would be like, well, what the hell is wrong with you? These people are providing your livelihood. But it's somehow okay to hate on teenage, teenage fangirls. It's because they're like, you know, they look at it and they would say, you know, that they, I guess, you know, just before we go in, I wanted to bring up, you know, the, like the big quote from Harry Styles, the kind of people like the people, you know, from that piece that you mentioned with Rolling Stone really like caught their attention when he, um, they, cause they, I guess at some point they asked him or whatever. And he 
the piece says, you know, that he is aware that his largest audience so far has been a young, you know, and often teenage women. And they asked him if he spends pressured filled evenings worried, you know, about proving his credibility to an older crowd because of that, you know, because of his, the majority of his fans being young women. At that point, you know, he kind of goes off, you know, not into this rant, but he gives, you know, an answer that a lot of people really enjoyed. And I think that's really where we're coming from, where he said, you know, basically he said, who's to say that young women who like pop music, you know, don't, they have worse musical tastes than some 30 year old person. Right. And he said, you know, that's not to you to say music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young girls like the Beatles, you know, you're going to tell me that they're not serious. How can you say that young girls don't get it? They are our future, our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents. They kind of keep the world going. Teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you and they tell you which is sick, which is what he said. And I think that's an incredible point that like a lot of people don't get it and they don't look at it that way. And like you said, you know, they, they're the ones that sell out. I hope you sell amphitheaters and get you to have the successful career but they're just the easiest targets, so to speak, I guess, in terms of who gets made fun of more often than anyone just because they like a band and that's all they're really doing. They're liking a band, they're liking music, and they can't even do that without getting criticized. So, you know, like we said earlier, if you go to school, you get criticized. If you, once you get out of school and you go to concerts, you know, it's supposed to be somewhere where everyone can come together, but it's not quite like that and it hasn't really been like that. So where can they go? You know, where can you go? because you're getting no real options here. And I mean, again, I have never experienced that, but it's just like, to look at it, it's just really strange because you don't really have any place that you can go. And it's getting better, you know, now again with Harry Styles speaking out about it, but I think that's something incredible that I hope catches on with a lot more artists. Yeah, I think a lot of the problem is that there's just so much gatekeeping (laughs) and... There is no, yeah, and like like you're saying, there's nobody who runs into that more than teenage girls. Like, I can say probably until the past four or five years, like, a constant source of stress for me when I was going to shows was, you know, I guess looking the part and acting the part. I didn't want anybody to see me, you know, missing a word to a song or not knowing. And even at shows where, I mean, I was possibly, arguably definitely the biggest fan there like every sweller show that i went to post 2010 like there was still this huge fear for me that if i wasn't in the pit if i wasn't you know climbing on top of somebody's head to yell into the mic or something that you know that i was gonna look like a phony or that i was gonna have somebody you know call into question my passion for that i so totally and completely relate to that and I mean even like as a journalist and a a photographer you know I mean I've photographed and interviewed how many hundreds and hundreds of bands over the years and like I, I I've become a lot more confident now but especially when I started I was very self conscious of like I want to be perceived as a professional and I I don't want to I was I was very very nervous that like how can I do my job and like you know as a journalist when you're interviewing a band like you want to seem interested obviously you know um but I I was very concerned about like how do I seem interested and prove that I know my stuff you know that I know what I'm talking about um without seeming like a quote-unquote fangirl um yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to mention is that on top of all of that, there's also that immense pressure to not look like you got to still be cool. You know, you can't be too into it. <laughs> and that's something that if if I could for a minute, I really appreciated about the Swellers when they were a band is that, I mean, I dedicated years and years of my life to following that band around to I ran. If you guys remember on Tumblr, the fan blogs were all called like, fuck, yeah that sorry i don't know if of course of course you can yeah. like that if it's uh not cool to say no we 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 curse a lot on this <laughs> podcast yeah, we, like we say all of, our parents don't listen to this anyway so we can yeah. cut <laughs> <laughs> i yeah, hope so my we, parents don't listen to this <laughs> i mean but yes yeah, so like for the swellers like i was the quintessential like quote-unquote fangirl i think at one point i owned like 15 or 20 shirts i went 
to every single show in Michigan between 2010 and the time they broke up, except for, I think, one. And they were never dismissive of me. I think, and I mean, I'm pretty good friends with Nick and Jono now, but at the time I was like an 18-year-old girl and this was like, it was my whole world. And it always meant so much to me that they were so, you know, jazzed about it. They would always say hi to me. They were always excited when me and my friends would show up stupidly like 10 hours early before doors even though there was nobody there (laughs) and just I I don't know I think that that kind of attitude is something that so many like punk or emo or whatever bands need to learn from is that like it's I, I don't know it used to be cool to be you know to act like you didn't care about things and that has kind of faded in the mainstream and it's you know it's cool to be like caring now It's just one of those things, again, where, like, when you're a girl, it's, like, people expect, they want you to be, like, the most knowledgeable, but not too excited and not too, I don't know. Yes, knowledgeable, (laughs) but but not too excited. That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah. Right, because if you're too excited, then you're just fangirling, which is this negative connotation entirely. But if you're too knowledgeable, then you're pretentious. So, like, what do you, like, you can't, again... There's not really any, like, right thing to do. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's tough. It's so ridiculous, too, because I literally was just reading a thread where grown men on Reddit spent, like, days on end trying to track, like, it was something to do with Brand New, and they thought that they had registered this website to give them hints about the album before it came out. Oh, good lord. Yeah, and it's just, like, I see that in, like, they were looking at where the IP addresses were pinging from and like digging through the code and all of this stuff. And like, that's, I mean, uh, not, maybe not so much for other bands in our scene, but I definitely have seen girls go to town on like, for instance, a couple weeks ago when Taylor Swift's website was all blacked out, there were tons of girls who were, you know, like digging into the code and stuff. But people are like, Oh my God, look at these crazy pop fan girls when they're literally doing the exact same things. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's incredible. People and uh, people have been doing that obviously with brand new forever. And you know, uh, again to your point, men or you know older men. I guess it's not to be older men, but you know, just men in general will obsess over things like that. And you know, not, I guess not even doesn't have to be like you can even make that a bigger picture outside of music. You can even make it. Um, this happened a year ago, I think, where I was watching this dude on Twitter. Um, who was going, he was making this big thread about or whatever, like women with makeup and not to keep circling back to makeup, but he was talking about who, how he doesn't get it, how, you know, they'll stay up all night just for like these pre-orders to go up and they spend, you know, hundreds of dollars or whatever. And someone asked him the question, you know, and brought the point of that's, it's, you know, that's how like, you know, men are with like video games. It's not exclusively men that play video games, right? But like, there's a much higher percentage of men that obsess over video games more than they do other things, you know? So if, if you want to assign something to men, you know, you could assign that and you could assign makeup to women. Again, those two things aren't exclusively to men or women, but the point was solid in the fact that, you know, men, or I guess, again, anyone will stay up all night to, you know, get this midnight release of a game, but then they can't see, you know, why someone would do that for like makeup. And again, it's just it's this really weird like thing that's been going on forever and you don't you don't really look at it. I guess you don't really see things like that until you take a step back and look at it and see how ridiculous it really is. Yeah, and I mean there's also this expectation of women to constantly explain themselves and answer for themselves and that kind of circles back a little bit to what I was talking about with Haley Williams like owning up to her bad lyrics. It just it it's one of those things that I am constantly thinking about where you have men and women who do a lot of the same things, whether good or bad, but like men and women do a lot of the same bad things, obviously, but it more often than not is women who are asked to constantly explain themselves and apologize and continue having these conversations over and over and over again when you know, we don't men, hold men, men responsible. Yeah, well, especially men in music are given a free pass on literally everything. I mean, I've spent the better part of two years now 
arguing with people on the internet about why men shouldn't be shitty, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> it and it's not exhausted. been going well, so. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that's actually, as I said, that's actually a good kind of, again, I don't know oh, how yeah. we're getting such good segues here. This is incredible. Oh, yeah. We are. Um, that would take us into, I guess, another point that we wanted to bring up was um, the band Makeout when they came out <laughs> um, <laughs> with their new song Secrets. And, you know, right off the bat, the first thing that popped to a lot of people's minds was, holy crap, what is this? Like, why, you know, why would you write this song and record this and be like, this is great. This is going to be a single. Nothing is wrong with this. And then people are like, well, what the hell? What do you mean nothing is wrong with this? And then you see people are defending it. And it's just like... It's so bad. It's so gross. It's, it's pretty rough. people defend it. It's, yeah, it's... You know, I have to be a little bit the, the voice of dissent. I know everybody has been so surprised that this was greenlit and put out. But it is constantly surprising to me... I guess that people are still shocked when this happens. Oh, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, that's because, a good point. Yeah, well, there's such this is like this is what our scene is built on, unfortunately, and it's not something that yep. I'm excited about, and it's not something that I'm proud of. These kids just weren't able to hide it as well, I guess, because I mean they're straight up saying like you're a whore and you oh yeah, on me it's, it's terrible. Yeah, but like fans like. You know, the story so far, neck deep, whatever. Story so far been, has... The story so far is the big one. They've built an entire career out of being misogynistic, but poetic enough that people are willing to kind of gloss I, over it. I wonder, like... So, the story so far put out their first album, Under Soil and Dirt, in 2011. Um, and, you know, I wonder, like, if they put that album out today what kind of reaction it would have gotten. Because I, I would argue that they've become more poetic and slightly less misogynistic over the years, but still definitely misogynistic. Um, but I, I wonder if they had, like, put out that first album today. Like, I mean, I, I, I think it's because the first album came out a couple of years ago. Um, but I think if that first album came out today, I, I think there probably would have been some backlash. I would hope so. I would certainly like, hope so. Yeah, it's it's ter it's terrible to admit this, I guess, but I sometimes feel very hopeless about stuff like that, having spent so long, I guess, kind of immersing myself in it. And I mean, it's one of those things where you kind of end up with a little bit of an echo chamber of like the same terrible dudes defending the other terrible dudes. So maybe it's a little bit of that, but it's something that I constantly see where it's excused because it's a band that they like it's excused because oh they know that dude and he was cool after a show or even just like the same excuse that i see particularly in response to this really gross makeout song is that it was written about a girl that hurt his feelings so that makes it okay and i i think it's really important to say like writing about your feelings is like the basis of music and that's fine. Like it's not bad to be hurt or angry when somebody mistreats you, but there is something wrong with using pointed gendered slurs or other slurs to refer to people because once you do that, you're not just talking about the person that hurt you. You're not just like, you're basically sending a message to all of the people that listen to you who could possibly be hurt by a word like that, that that's how you could potentially feel about them. And I think that there are just so many more constructive ways to talk about, you know, being angry and being hurt than trying to degrade the person that hurt you. Because, you know, ostensibly this guy cared about that girl at some point. They were in love. But when you reduce, when you reduce her to a word like whore and when you say things like, What's the lyric? Like, oh, you probably are spending all of your money at Sephora and just like stuff like that. You're taking the things that they love and that they care about and weaponizing them and turning them into, you know, these like really degrading and horrible lyrics. And I just think that 
that's the point that so many people missed when, especially in the ridiculously long news post thread on chorus about it was the same circular arguing just kept happening where it was like, well, he wrote it about one girl, so it's okay. Or other bands have bad lyrics and you like those bands. So that makes you a hypocrite for calling out this band or I don't know. I feel like people will just go on and on and on because they don't want to admit that they're wrong. They don't want to admit that something that they like or something that they're not offended by is harmful. What's really interesting to me, and yeah, real quick, that lyric, I looked it up, is yeah, it says, uh, all that money I spent on Sephora while I was on tour and you were with Kevin. So it's a really it's a really strange thing like to associate like that, like you said, it's a really strange thing that's just to throw Sephora in there and be like, well, you know what, if you like Sephora, then that means you're probably cheating on somebody. Or like, it's a really weird thing to name drop these. Like, I, I guess I just don't get it. And not necessarily just this band, but I guess you could include this band in it. And people will get so like associated with these bands, like you said, they'll just defend them to death no matter what, because they like them. But there's, there's an argument to be made of like, you don't, have to be like that because you this there's so many bands in this scene that sound like the same like and it's very it's so hard to be like original these days i could probably go find bands that sounded just like make out but weren't in, for to my knowledge i guess weren't is like misogynistic or they might be but i mean you don't you don't know but like you can find so many bands that sound like that that aren't pieces of shit or at least we know they aren't like terrible you know, um, they might not. I don't know. That sounds they really might bad. Be, like, but we don't know that yet. No, I, it's like yeah. you can find bands that aren't like writing songs like that and aren't aren't expressing these misogynistic feelings, and you can get the same satisfaction out of it. But like, you're not supporting people who think those things are okay. A hundred percent. I want to go back to something you said, Kayla. Um, so you said that you know, a lot of these people on chorus were saying, well, he wrote it about one girl, so it's okay. Um, so our last guest on the show for episode nine was Sheridan Allen from Punk Talks. Um, and this was, you know, in regards to mental health, uh, you know, because that's, that's what she does with Punk Talks. But she was saying that, you know, essentially, like it or not, if you're a musician, you have a platform. And if you weren't aware that people were going to be listening to your songs, well, you you never would have taken them outside your bedroom. And and so to say, well, he wrote it about one girl, so it's okay, is such a bullshit, such a bullshit response. Like, that's, that's not a justification in any way. No, I feel 100% the same. And that's really, it's, it's so annoying because I've literally seen that same argument since... Uh, the story so far put out that really gross daughters song and i think parker cannon said on twitter something along the lines of oh you dudes who want to use my lyrics to slut shame like you don't even know what you're talking about and it's one of those things where it's like the cognitive dissonance (laughs) makes me want to tear my hair out because it's like man you wrote this song and yes obviously in your head you were thinking about a specific person but when you're taking it to a room full of hundreds of kids they're also all thinking about a specific person and you're turning that entire room into an unsafe place for women exactly. because when you like when you have a room full of men who are so excited to say those words and to like finger point and do all of this stuff, it makes me in particular, and I know many other women that I know feel incredibly unsafe. So yeah, like in my heart, I know that they're not thinking that about every single woman. It's just that once you start thinking that it's okay to say something like that about one woman and you're going to start saying that about like every woman that pisses you off or does something that you don't like. And that's like kind of true of every other like, you know, slur, every other kind of ism that you could think of. Like there are so many people who justify like, oh, I don't think of all women as whores, just the women who are whores are that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that. Right. It's like, well, I'm not going to call you that word if you don't act like that word. But 
and it, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I could go, you know, on and on and on <laughs> about how problematic that line of thinking is. That's a, um, that's, a, that's a great point, though. I mean, I'm glad she brought that up. That is, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, Kayla, so we've, uh, we've been on for a while now, um, and it's been about an hour, so we did want to start wrapping things up, but. We did want to end on a slightly more positive note um, because as depressing as perspective gets, like life, um, wow, wow, that was depressing. <laughs> yeah. Um, positivity oh, here. Yeah, positivity <laughs> here. I wrote my freaking college drop. thesis on positivity and positive psychology. That's I should happened. like, I, you know, I got old and bitter. <laughs> welcome to perspective um anyway kayla i i wanted to get your recommendations of something that we could leave people who listen to our show with uh can you give a shout out to any you know give a, a list a couple bands or artists right now that you think are doing a, a really great job at you know being a good representation for you know, for, for women or, or for equality in general, um, you know, in addition to, you know, Paramore, um, <laughs> obviously the Swellers, RIP and Harry Styles. I mean, any, any people that you think are just making good music or that have something really important to say right now? Man, I was just going to ask if it was cheating to say Paramore. Um, <laughs> but for real, <laughs> I, I, there are a lot of really great bands that are doing really great things right now. Um, now Now just put out a new song, and that's great if you have lots of gay feelings that you want to <laughs> feel. <laughs> um, I think, let's see, there are a lot of great bands like Adult Mom is a band that, you know, kind of took it on themselves to, you know, talk especially about, like, the Power Bottom scandal. Uh, Bands like Kississippi. Let me pull up a list because I didn't know I was going to get asked this question. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. Because there are so many. She's got a list. I'm loving it. No, and and that's, you know, I, I am glad that you have a list, though. Yeah, I mean, and maybe not so much like specifically for women, but uh, a band that I really love that I always feel really great at their shows and really included in their fandom is Law Dispute. They care very much about, you know, about Michigan and about like the economic inequality here. And they talk a lot about, you know, they want to bring good things to their hometown, which is Grand Rapids, Michigan, but they also are very cautionary about, you know, things like gentrification. And, you know, that's obviously just as important to talk about as uh, sexism. Bands like, you know, Me Without You talk about kind of similar things to that. Uh, Rat Boys is a really great band that's constantly talking about, you know, sexism and you know, toxic culture in music. If uh, Diet Sig is another good one, they kind of came under fire for maybe not doing it the way that people would like. Uh, But they're still great. And just, I'm sorry, I could go on literally forever. I've worked really hard over the past couple of years to curate, you know, bands that make me feel good about myself, that I feel care about the issues that I care about and aren't like, I don't want to, I am past the point in my life where I want to go to shows and feel like an outsider. And I think a lot of people agree with that too. Oh, sorry. I have to talk about Mitski because she's literally the best. And that is probably the most perfect example of a show that you can go to and you're going to have a great time and feel just safe and good (laughs) during it. Awesome. Well, Kayla, thank you for, for all those recommendations and for uh, coming on this show and everything. Um, We, we really appreciate you, you know, taking some time out of your evening and I appreciated getting to know you a little better and, and getting to talk to you about some things that I know you're really passionate about. Um, I've always said that my favorite thing is talking to people about the stuff that, that, they're passionate about. Um, so I, I really loved hearing you talk about Paramore and the Swellers and how important both of those bands are to you. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always very excited to talk about this stuff, even if I complain about it a lot on Twitter. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I, yeah, it was it was such a pleasure having you. Um, 
Kayla, uh, as we sign off, where can people uh, keep up with you on the internet if they uh, want to uh, <laughs> follow you on Twitter? What's your Twitter? Uh, it's at Personal Maps, which is a Paramore reference. <laughs> okay, there you go. I was going to ask what that was a reference to. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Kayla. Thanks to everyone who has tuned in to any of the first 10 episodes of Perspective. Holy shit, guys, when Logan and I started this podcast, I don't even think we actually believed we would make one episode. But here we are, 10 episodes a couple months later. And thank you so, so, so much to everyone who has uh, given a shit about this so far. We really appreciate it. For everyone who has tuned in, we would love for you to hop on Twitter and share with us your perspective on any of the things we talked about or just life in general, or if you have any thoughts on what you want to hear us talk about on the show, our Twitter is at perspective underscore pod. Uh, my Twitter is at M Huddleson, M H U D E L S O N. Logan is at A N I A F C. And you can find us on Facebook as well. Look up perspective podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, Kayla, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone.